Brandon, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Mm-hmm. It's in the, isn't that so good to say? It is. It is. Can you it, tell I grew up in church? It means it's Easter week. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Easter just, week. It's got that feeling of Easter weakness to it. I mean, okay, Easter weakness doesn't sound right, but but you know what I'm saying. I know and, what you're saying. Uh, and what this means is that this is the final Easter special week. We get to celebrate Easter this coming Sunday. We get to hear the, the end of this wonderful um, Easter narrative experience. So I'm just, I know, I don't know. I'm feeling giddy this week. And so uh, guys, if you're just joining us, well, hi, welcome. This is Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as, as Brandon's going to say in his Easter best, the show that helps you grow. <laughs> and uh, if you are just joining us, uh, you, for some reason, are turning in to the third week of a three-week-long Easter special. So go back to the one two weeks ago. It's Easter special part one, and, and start there, and then come back and, and join us. Hi, welcome back. Um, so we are we are wrapping up this Easter story, and it's been just this beautiful experience. Again, special thank you to Austin Pay for recording this this um, yes. just in, incredible um, narrative experience for us. Fun fact about Austin Pay: he used to be a high school teacher, and one of his students was Ryan Johnson, who directed Star Wars: The Last Jedi, in Knives Out, in Looper, and a bunch of movies that you wow. may have heard. Uh, so cool thing about him. Um, so Austin, if you're listening, special shout out to you. And Ryan Johnson, if you're listening, special shout out to you. He definitely um, listens. Probably. And um, so guys, it's not just the final week of this Easter special, but it means that we have Easter services coming up this week. And they're probably, the, the, they're one all week long, pretty much. So if, if you're listening to this episode, there could be an Easter service happening today. I don't know as you're listening to it. They're, they're going like all week long. So go on and they're in person, which is really yes. cool. Um, so so all sorts of stuff. And if you're interested in info about what does it mean that it's in person, you can find that all saddleback.com slash Easter. You got all the service times. You got the registration links. Make sure to register for a service time that you want to go to. And um, all sorts of info for every campus, saddleback.com slash Easter. Don't miss it. If you don't live locally, it's going to be online too. So join us at saddleback.com slash Easter. It'll be there. All the links, everything you need will be there. Um, so before we dive into the conclusion of this Easter narrative, Brandon, talk about Journey with Jesus one more time. Yes, Journey with Jesus. Listen, seriously, you guys, it is a great way to just immerse yourself in the story. Um, it's a beautiful trail at Saddleback Rancho Capistrano. Um, it's all free. Also, uh, we have on the website, saddleback.com slash journey with Jesus. Um, there's an audio experience of Pastor Rick teaching through each of the stations of the cross. There are 14 of them. Um, there's also, on, we have an app, we have a virtual experience on YouTube, but we highly recommend doing it um, in person at the ranch. It's a beautiful, beautiful trail. And again, it really immerses you in the Easter season and in the story of Jesus. And I think it's a great way to connect with the story before attending an Easter service. So again, saddleback.com slash journey with Jesus. All the information is there for you. All right, friends, without further ado, we bring you the epic conclusion to the Easter narrative here on Doable Discipleship.
It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath, because it was the Passover. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken, then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, Not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the one they pierced. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he was afraid of the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following the Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. We have two good men who step forward and actually take a risk here. Joseph of Arimathea was a Jewish man, and uh, we're told that he had been a secret disciple, a secret follower of Jesus for some time, but that he feared the Jewish leaders, and so he hadn't come forward. But in this moment, having seen Jesus crucified, he, he can't bear to stay in the shadows any longer. So he decides to come forward and to, to take a risk, to be the man that will care for Jesus' body after his death. And with him comes a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is taking a similar risk because Nicodemus is one of the Jewish religious leaders. And he had, in John chapter 3, we, we read, uh, we didn't read it in, the, in this Easter special, but we read it elsewhere. Go and read John chapter 3 if you want to read the, the rest of this part of the story. But Nicodemus came to Jesus secretly at night. He didn't want to be seen because he was afraid to lose his reputation coming to Jesus. But he also had a spiritual hunger and a desire to find out who Jesus really was, what he was really teaching, and whether or not it was the truth. And so we have in John chapter 3 a, 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 an interesting conversation between the two of them. But one thing is said in John chapter 3, as Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, Nicodemus and Jesus had a, a, a very warm conversation in John chapter 3. And I have a feeling, in fact, I'm just about certain that when Nicodemus stood in the crowd as Jesus was being crucified and he watched Jesus being lifted up on that cross, that these words from Jesus must have flashed back through his mind. Where Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so everyone who believes will have eternal life. Nicodemus decided that he wasn't going to be ashamed anymore. 
he was going to follow Jesus. And so we have him joining Joseph of Arimathea and caring for Jesus's body after his death, a sign of, of their devotion and love and their sorrow over what's just been done to Jesus. The leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said when he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, Take guards and secure it as best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. When the women arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. They ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. When the disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went in, he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary Magdalene was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbanai! which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go 
Find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Now, this is a really interesting moment because we see that Jesus has appeared to women first. He did not appear first to Peter. He did not appear first to John or to James, but he appeared to women first. And this is important to know because because the law courts of that day would not recognize the testimony of a woman. But we see that Jesus did. Jesus recognized women in a way that the law of that time did not. And actually, what we can take from this is this is an argument for the historical truth of this account. Because if someone had fabricated this story, if somebody had made up the story of Jesus's resurrection, they would not make the first witnesses to be women, because they were considered unreliable. That 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 was kind of j- j- just the way it was at the time. Is is a woman's account was not taken because it was not considered reliable. But Jesus didn't care. It, Jesus wanted to appear to these women first, and it's a great testimony to the historic truth of his resurrection. And we see that this moment particularly is really affirming for for how he views and in for the position of women. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written on their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man of Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. 
Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road and he explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened? he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hands into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. I want to make sure we notice an important point that Jesus is making here. We keep having, now that he's been raised back to life, these beautiful interactions between he and his disciples, various disciples in various places. In fact, a lot of them he, he actually visits. But we keep seeing them here in this story. But Jesus is uh, careful to make an important point here, that he has not just been raised in some spiritual way, but that his actual body has been raised from the dead as well. And this is an important theological point for us, 
Because it is one thing to believe that Jesus will restore in us some kind of spiritual life or spiritual vitality through the forgiveness of our sins and a healed relationship with God, but he does not stop there. Jesus makes it very clear that the resurrection he brings is not merely a resurrection of the Spirit, but a resurrection of the flesh as well. That he raises back to life every part of the human being. This is the hope of the resurrection, not only of the spirit, but of the body as well. Christianity upholds the value of the body. God made the human body. He loves the human body, and he will raise the human body back to new life if we will trust in him. He brings our whole person back to life and health that never, ever ends. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathanael from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and then you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, yet the net hadn't torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. I don't want us to move too quickly and pass up the real significance of the miracle that's just occurred in the interaction that Jesus has had with his disciples, especially with Peter. Peter has come off the heels of a terrible denial. Just a few days ago, Peter denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus said that he would. And we saw Peter go away, weeping bitterly, because he knew he had turned his back on his friend. In this moment, we see Peter react differently from all the other disciples. What we don't realize if we just read this too quickly is that Jesus is sending a powerful message to the disciples, especially to Peter. Because this miracle mirrors the miracle that Jesus did with Peter 
and James and John on the day he called them to be his disciples. Years ago, he was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw these men, who were fishermen, mending their nets. Jesus asked Peter to paddle him out in the boat so he can speak to the crowd. And after he speaks to the crowd, Jesus says, let's go out a little bit farther and let's catch some fish. Peter says, well, there's no point. He said, we fished all night and we didn't catch anything. And Jesus says, well, go ahead and throw them in the water. Peter does it anyway. And immediately the nets are so filled with fish that they start to tear and they can't even pull them into the boat. They have to call for more help so they can pull in all the fish. This was the miracle that Jesus did on the day he called Peter to be his disciple. In a dark, dark moment for Peter, knowing that he had denied Jesus, Jesus shows up and does the same miracle that he did on the, on the day that Peter was called. It is a healing moment for Peter because Jesus is sending a powerful message saying, I'm not done with you yet. I still love you. You're forgiven. And that's why Peter reacts the way that he does. Because for, for, for Peter, this is the moment of reinstatement. This is the moment where Peter realizes it's all okay. I'm forgiven. And so he jumps into the water in true Peter fashion, swims to the shore to meet Jesus. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those times and dates, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. So they worshiped the Lord and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We ended on a really important note there, ending with that Romans chapter 10 passage that says, anyone who trusts in Jesus will never be disgraced, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I, I know we have Easter coming, and hopefully you're planning on attending Easter services at Saddleback or at a church near you. But you know what? Today is the day to turn to Jesus if you've never done that. If you're a listener who's kind of maybe on the fringes of faith and you've just been investigating before, or maybe you've been hanging around church for a while or listening to the show, but you haven't really made a decision to, to turn your life to Jesus once and for all, to say, Jesus, you're going to be the king of my life from now on. I'm turning to you. I want all my sins forgiven. I want my, my past wiped away. And I want to know that I have a relationship with you and that I have an eternal home with you in heaven and that I have eternal life beginning right now. If you want to know for sure that you are in a friendship with God today, then I want to invite you to uh, just, just say a prayer with me. This is not a magic prayer that uh, has any kind of special power, but what it does is uh, show a posture of our heart, a desire to turn to Jesus and to let him have his rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. So if you want to give Jesus that rightful place as king in your life today, then just say this little prayer with me in your heart wherever you are. Dear God, thank you so much for listening to my prayer. Thank you for all the good things you do for me and all the blessings that you give me each day. Thank you most of all for sending Jesus, your son, to be the payment for my sin. Thank you for making it possible for me to have my past wiped away. I don't really understand how it all works, but I want to turn to you now. I want you to be my savior. 
I want you to be the king of my life from now on. And to the best of my ability, I'm surrendering to you today. Thank you for this incredible gift. Thank you for the suffering that you endured. Thank you for the power of the resurrection and the hope that when this life comes to an end, I'll have an eternal home with you. And thank you for the knowledge that I have eternal life and purpose in you beginning right now. I love you. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to any of you who decided to pray that just a moment ago, thank you so much for deciding to do that. I'm so glad that you've decided to make a decision for Jesus, to make a concrete choice to turn to him. And if you're looking for a church home, if you're not already connected here at Saddleback, I would encourage you to find a local Saddleback Church campus near you and get plugged in there. Uh, your next step is to be baptized. So it'd be a wonderful, wonderful time for you to attend an Easter service at Saddleback and then to be baptized. Invite your family, come and, and, and uh, make an event of it. Thanks so much for listening to the Easter special. And I hope you'll join us again next week. These excerpts from the New Living Translation were used by permission of Tyndale House Publishers Incorporated. All rights reserved. Product available for purchase at www.tyndale.com.